Hi, I'm Molly Ostwall, and I'm going to be talking about the landmark case of Brown versus Board of Education. This Supreme Court ruling, which occurred in 1954, established that racial segregation in public schools was unconstitutional. This case involved not one, but five cases involving discrimination against African American people. I believe this case is of historical significance because when the Supreme Court determined that to segregate schools on the basis of race was a violation of the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause, it led to the desegregation of schools and also helped the civil rights movement to gain momentum and continue to chip away at other existing racial social structures. Before I get into the facts of the court case, I think it's important to give some historical background on the plight of African American people following the abolition of slavery. Slavery was abolished in the United States in 1865, and in 1868, the 14th Amendment provided former slaves equal protection under the law. The Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment states, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. In the the 1896 case of Plessy v. Ferguson, the Supreme Court ruled that public facilities such as schools could legally be segregated by race. The courts required that facilities for blacks and whites should be equal. Following this ruling, African Americans were barred from sharing public facilities such as schools and buses under what was known as the Jim Crow laws. These laws allowed for strict regulations around voting, where African American people could live, and how much they could earn from their work. The laws essentially allowed for legalized racism that kept African-American people poor and dependent on white people for their livelihood. The time following the abolition of slavery was called the Reconstruction Era. During this time, despite the fact that they were free from slavery, it was difficult for black people to get ahead. Violent groups such as the Ku Klux Klan terrorized and attacked black people and lynchings were common. Following a deadly race riot in Springfield, Illinois in 1908, a group of white liberals who were fed up with the appalling violence against African Americans formed a meeting to discuss racial justice. Two members of the group, Mary White Ovington and Oswald Garrison Villard, were descendants of famous abolitionists. Of the 60 people who attended the meeting, seven were African American. The outcome of this meeting was the formation of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, or the NAACP, which established its national office in New York City in 1910. The NAACP was dedicated to securing all people the rights guaranteed by the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment to the United States Constitution. The mission of the NAACP was to ensure that minority groups were were afforded political, educational, social, and economic equality, as well as endeavoring to eliminate racial prejudice and discrimination. By the early 1950s, African-American people were continuing to suffer under oppression and discrimination. 
The NAACP was fighting against laws that are segregated by color and had filed lawsuits in states of in the states of South Carolina, Virginia, and Delaware. This brings me to the case that went on to the Supreme Court under the name of Brown v. Board of Education. In 1951, the plaintiff, Oliver Brown, filed a case action suit against the Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas, after his daughter, Linda, was denied entrance into an all-white school. According to Brown, the schools for Blacks' children were not equal to the white schools and therefore violated the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause. Linda's family and 12 other families in Topeka filed a lawsuit against the school district. The U.S. District Court of Kansas upheld the separate but equal doctrine, so Brown took his case to the U.S. Supreme Court. The families were represented by attorneys through the NAACP, and by the time the case made it to the Supreme Court, Brown v. Board of Education was combined with four other NAACP cases from the other parts of the country. The chief attorney for the plaintiffs was Thorogood Marshall. At that time, Marshall was the head of the NAACP Legal Defense and Educational Fund, but would go on to be the first black Supreme Court justice 13 years later. The four other cases that were combined under Brown versus Board of Education all involved the issues of racial discrimination and inequality for African-American people. These cases were as follows. Briggs versus Elliott, Clareton County, South Carolina. This lawsuit was filed in 1947, and as a result of the children of Reverend Joseph Albert Dulane being denied free bus transportation. After the NAACP got involved, other plaintiffs joined in and de demanded equal treatment in other areas in addition to transportation, such as buildings, salaries for teachers, and educational materials. Prince Edwards County, Virginia. Students at Robert R. Morton High School went on strike in April of 1951, demanding, that de demanding desegregation. The African-American students of Morton High School decided to take matters into their own hands after years of overcrowded schools with secondhand books and poorly paid teachers. On the third day of the student strike, they called an attorney, Spotswood Robinson, who worked for the NAACP. A lawsuit filed by the NAACP a month later on behalf of the 117 students. The lawsuit asked that the state of Virginia to abolish segregation in the schools. Wilmington, Delaware. This case was filed by Sarah Balra, whose daughter, Shirley, had to be driven to a school miles away from her home. The court ruled in favor of Balra and the other families who had joined in on the lawsuit. However, while the courts ruled in favor of the children being admitted to the all-white school, they refused to call the segregation of black students unconstitutional. Bowling v. Sharp, District of Columbia. This lawsuit was brought by Gardner Bishop, whose daughter was forced to attend an overcrowded junior high school when there was a white school close to their home with multiple openings. The Supreme Court justices initially divided on the decision regarding school segregation. Chief Justice Fred M. Vinson stood firm on his opinion that the verdict of Plessy v. Ferguson should stand. However, Vinson died before Brown v. the Board of Education was to be heard before the Supreme Court. President Dwight D. Eisenhower replaced Vinson with Earl Warren, the governor of the state of California. 
Justice Warren was instrumental in securing a unanimous verdict against the school segregation the following year. The final decision of the Supreme Court in Brown v. Board of Education was decided on May 17, 1954, and ruled that segregated schools were inherently unequal and the plaintiffs had been deprived of the equal protection of the law granted, guaranteed by the 14th Amendment. Justice Warren wrote, wrote that in the field of public education, the doctrine of separate but equal has no place, as segregated schools were inherently unequal. A second opinion from the Supreme Court was issued in May of 1955. This opinion allowed for lower federal and district courts to rule in future cases regarding desegregation. It directed those courts and school board to begin the process of desegregation. Many Southern schools and local officials defied the order of Supreme Court and refused to desegregate. The most famous was Governor Orville Fabus from Arkansas. In 1957, Fabus refused to allow for desegregation and even brought in the state's National Guard to prevent African-American students from attending the high school in Little Rock. President Eisenhower sent federal troops to escort nine students, known as the Little Rock Nine, into the school. On a personal note, my grandmother was a 23-year-old woman living in Little Rock at this time, and she was there to witness this piece of history. My mom remembers her talking about how big of a deal it was and how most people were against desegregation and how people like my grandmother who were for desegregation couldn't share their opinion openly because of fear of the of retaliation. I also have an African-American brother who I can't imagine having to send to an, a separate school. It's crazy to me like that things like this ever even happened. And that's why I believe it's important to continue to promote and protect the rights of African-American people with movements such as the Black Lives Matter movement. And that is my podcast. Thank you for listening.